Okay, we're learning this before Shlim Miriam. So we learned on the uh, <coughs> in the Mishnah yesterday that the Yitzias Shnaim are Shnaim Shein Arva. And in the Mishnah yesterday, we learned that there's two there's two ways to violate the Melacha Daraisa of Hotza. One way to violate the Melacha Melacha Daraisa is carrying out, and one way is carrying in. So one way of carrying out is called Hotza, and the way of carrying in is called Hachnasa. So both the Ani and the Balabayas are able to perform that. So those are two that they're each able to do. Those are the Shaim. Those are the two biblical malacha they can each bring from Rosh Hashanah to Rosh Hashanah, which is Achnasa, or they can bring from Rosh Hashanah to Rosh Hashanah, which is Hotzah. But it branches out, Shehin Arba, it branches out into, into, into four because there's another thing that can happen also. There's two components to the Malach of Hotzah, or Achnasa, which is Akira and Hanacha, uprooting an object from its location in one place, Hanacha, giving it a new location in a second place. So if somebody performs either component, they're violating Malach HaTarabana, meaning the rabbis don't want me involved at all within the process of Hotzah, even if I'm only doing one component, I'm either doing the uprooting from one Rishos, or I'm doing the other component, placing it down in a second Rishos. The rabbis said such a thing is not allowed, even though technically in order to, to, to violate the Malach HaTarabana, you have to do both components. That's what we, we, we learned mostly from the, from the mission yesterday. So we were trying to figure out that the numbers two that are four doesn't really make sense because the math in the Mishnah is that, again, there are two Malachas Daraisas that each Ani and the Balabayas can do. So that's two for each. But the Shehina Arba doesn't make sense. It would seem like we're only adding two cases for each of them. But it's really, we have, if you think about it, we have four for each of them because there were four cases in the Mishnah of where they're each doing an Akira and a Hanacha. And in each case, one of them is doing an Akira and one of them is doing a Hanacha. So that means we really have eight more possibilities. So it should bring us to a total of 12, not a total of eight. So that is the bottom. Let's start again from Beis and Beis, three lines from the bottom. Is there only total, make a total of, of, of eight? Tarate Sreyavin, it's really a total of 12. So the Gemara said back, I mean, you can really make 16. The reason the Gemara thought you should make 16 is because in the first two cases where one person is doing both the Akira and the Hanacha, but the case of the Hanacha is he puts it down into somebody's hand. If you put it down into somebody's hand, so that's a Hanacha. But that person is there. I mean, he's involved in the scenario. So why don't you count that case? So the Gemara says, That's not difficult. In the first opening cases of the Mishnah, where you're putting it into somebody's hand or taking it out of somebody's hand, in that case, even though the Mishnah said pater, but the law is that it was permissible. If somebody's holding something, the Baal Bais is holding something, the Oni takes it out of his hand and draws it back in and draws it out to Rosh Hashanah, for example, the Baal Bais is doing nothing wrong. He's just sitting there doing absolutely nothing. So in that case, it's totally mutter. It's permissible. So that's not one of the cases that we're counting. But the next case in the Mishnah, which is exempt but forbidden, where the Balabayas or the Ani is doing either an Akira or Hanacha, that's something where the rabbis don't allow. So if the rabbis don't allow, so Kasha, that's difficult. We should, be let, we should be counting those in the numbers. So again, we have two separate parts of the Mishnah. In the opening case, when the one person is doing both Akira and Hanacha, and another person is simply holding something, that's, we don't view that as a question why we're not listing the perspective of the person that's just doing the holding. Because from his perspective, we don't view, the, we don't view him as violating even a Malachat Rabbanan. Just for illustration, the Baal Bayes is holding the loaf. The Ani sticks in his hand, takes it out of the Balabayas' hand and brings it outside. We don't view the Balabayas as doing anything wrong. He hasn't done an Akira. He hasn't done a Hanacha. He has just been 
maybe enabling on some level the other person to do the Avera. So we don't view that as him doing anything that is forbidden in the laws of Shabbos. But the other cases of the Mishnah, in any of the eight scenarios in the third and fourth uh, points that the Mishnah made, where one of them is doing either Akira or Hanacha, then one of them is doing, each of them are doing something wrong. They're doing something that Midrabanan shouldn't be done. So therefore we have a question, why is that not being listed? So... Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So the Gemara says, Mi ika bekule Shabbos pater umutter. But now the Gemara doesn't like that. We're saying that in the opening case where, where someone's just holding something in his hand and somebody takes it off out of his hand and brings it to the other Rishos, that the person who's just holding it is doing something that's permissible. Is it ever true in Masecha Shabbos that the word putter is used and really the law is that it's permissible? Is that really a true, a, a true theory? Vaharmar Shmuel, Shmuel taught us the following rule. Kol Peturi de Shabbos, whenever the language putter is used in the Masechta of Shabbos. Putter, Aval Asr. Whenever the word exempt is used, exempt implies that it's still forbidden. If the Mishnah wants to say permissible, the Mishnah says the word mutter. If the Mishnah uses the word potter, exempt, exempt gives us the connotation, gives us the implication that no, it is still forbidden to be done. Bar Mahani Shmuel says with the following three exceptions, the potter and mutter, where even though the word potter is used, it is still permissible. Three exceptions. What are the three exceptions? Tzedah Tzvi, the trapping of the deer. That case is a very interesting case. A Tzvi ran into, a deer ran into a house. One person blocked the entranceway, so he did an act of trapping. He blocked the exit, that's a trapping. Comes along a second person, he backs the first person up. He stands on top of him, that's reinforcement. That's not Seda, because there's already somebody there, it's already trapped. Now the first person leaves, and now it's only the second person who is there. That second person isn't doing anything wrong, very interestingly, because it's already trapped. He's just preventing the deer from leaving. That's not an act of trapping. Trapping means that right now the deer could leave, you block it off. The first person did the trapping. Once it's trapped, the second person just comes along as well, even if the first person subsequently leaves, says the Mishnah there, it's mutter. And Shmuel, it's potter. And Shmuel adds, it's potter and mutter as well. There's no need for the second person to leave, even if the first person leaves. That's one of the exceptions. Another one is Seidas Nachash. In the case where a person is trying to run away, trying to trap a, a, a snake because he doesn't want to get bitten. So but first of all, we're not talking about a poisonous snake that will kill you here. We're talking about something that might, might be, be painful, but it's not Sakhanus Nafashos. Just get that variable out of the way. And there's a snake that's chasing a person. So he, tra- he traps it. So what's the law generally? Generally, if you do a malacha, not for the objective of the malacha itself, but for an ulterior reason, generally the halacha is that you are potter, but it is usr. So in this case, for example, the objective of the malacha is trapping, is not to protect yourself from harm. That's not why we trap. Why you trap in an objective sense, what the creative capacity of the malacha is to be able to get the animal under your control to use the animal. So for example, in the Mishkan, why did they trap? They trapped the animal so that they could use the hides of the animals. If somebody is being chased by a snake and they trap it in order so that the snake shouldn't get to them, that's called a malacha she'inot tzricha legufa. Doing the act of the malacha, not for its objective reason. Reason. And in that case, the law is it is potter. Shmuel says that in the case of the snake, not only is it potter, it's even mutter. And the reason is that even though rabbis normally impose that you shouldn't even do a malacha when it's not tzricha lagufa, when you're doing it for an ulterior reason, when there's a, any element of pain that is involved, it becomes mutter. So if the snake is chasing you, the law now becomes it is permissible to, to, to trap it, even though, we're, again, we're not talking about a poisonous snake, because since there's an element of tsar of pain, the rabbis were lenient and they allowed you to do malacha shein tzricha lagufa. What? Over here, they'll say poisonous for whatever reason. Okay. I don't know why, 
but it's put it this way, it's definitely not life-threatening. I don't know. Mappus Morsa, and the third case is Mappus Morsa. Mappus Morsa is a complicated case, but it's like a person has some sort of blister or pimples that are on their face, and they would like to create a hole inside of it. Now, the reason why they would like to create a hole inside of it, there can be different scenarios, different reasons why a person would do it. We're focusing on the person who just wants the pus to come out. A person is not trying to create a hole for the hole itself. This is, again, a person is not allowed to make a hole on Shabbos. Making a hole is a form of bone, of building. If you're trying to create a passageway of hole so that the air should rush into the pimple, that is forbidden because that is bone, that is building. It's building a Pesach inside of the, inside of the pimple. However, if a person is just trying to create that the pus will come out, that is a malacha, that is not tzricha lagufa. You're making a hole, but not for a subjective sense. You're not doing it for the passageway that the air should rush in, but only to let the pus out. That's malacha shein tzricha lagufa. Generally, malacha shein tzricha lagufa is potter, but still forbidden rabbinically. Here, that there's an element of pain where it's going to ease your pain, the rabbis were even more lenient, and the rabbi said that you're allowed to lechatchila, pop that, pop that pimple in order for the pus to come out. So those, that was, Shmuel says, those are three exceptions where we we say malacha she'ain tzricha lagufa is not only is not only potter; it is even mutter in these three cases. But barring these three cases, whenever you see the word potter in Masecha Shabbos, says Shmuel, what is the rule? Potter avol aser. So our Mishnah in the case of the Balabais who is holding the kikar, he's doing nothing; he's just holding it. The ani comes out, takes it out of his hand, and removes it. The Mishnah said the Balabais is potter. We're trying to make the argument that actually the Balabais is allowed to do what he is doing because he's not making an Akira Harnacha. But that doesn't fit with Shmuel's rule because the Mishnah said the word is Pater. Pater implies Aser. Why? I thought we're saying that since the Balabais is not doing either the Akira or the Harnacha, he's just holding it and then the Ani takes it out of his hand and takes it out, that it's permissible from the, from the perspective of the Balabais. So how could we say that if the Mishnah used the word Pater? So the Gemara gives us an answer. When does Shmuel's rule in application, when does it apply? When the person is doing something. You're doing something. You happen to be exempt from malacha for whatever reason. If the word that is used is potter, then it gives the implication that it's still forbidden rabbinically. Pituri deloka oven maisa. But if we use the word exempt in a situation where the person is not doing anything, like in our mission, the Balabais is just holding it. He's not doing anything. He's not doing a maisa malacha at all. Then ma'ika tuva. There may be many examples of the word potter which are used liberal, liberally, and we just mean that it may even be permissible as well. So we're saying, basically, don't apply Shmuel's rule to a case where a person's not doing anything. Like in our case in the Mishnah, Baal is just holding it, the Mishnah could use the word pater, and it doesn't necessarily imply that it's still forbidden. So going back to our theory, in the cases where the, the Ani did, let's say, both the Akira and the Anachal, the Baal was just holding it, even though the word the Mishnah said, the Baal is pater, the truth is, it's really a little bit more extreme. The Baal is mutter. He's allowed to do what he's doing from the perspective of Shabbos. If that's true, so we don't have a kasha that there's really four that are 16, because in the cases where one person, one party is doing the akira and the anach, and the other party is completely passive, we're making the argument that the passive person is not doing anything that's forbidden um, at all whatsoever. Yeah. Right, good question. Yes, exactly. So as we spoke about, this is where we're going to get very nitty-gritty today, but this is very important. If I picked him something up in Urashos, my body is stationary, and I'm, my body's on the ground and I'm stationary, I'm holding something, it's munach. Since my body is, is stationary on the ground, 
and my hand is part of the body, it's stationary, even if it's like this, it doesn't matter. The chifetz, the item, is considered munach. And now if the ani comes, takes it out of my hand, I don't give it to him, but he takes it out of my hand and sends it back, that is called, he did the akira. That's a very important point here. If I stop, this is very important, and we're going to get to it in a second, we're going to get nitty-gritty in the bottom of the omelet. If I stop, stop at the door, I'm here. The ani opens the door, and then he takes it out of my hand, it was munach. Because once I stop, and I'm stationary, and I'm holding it, the chifetz is munach in that place. Munach means it's in, a, it's in a state that this is where it is placed. Okay, so as... Okay. So now the Gemara is going back to our cases. In the case where the Balabais is holding it, the Ani is taking it out. As long as the other party is doing both the Akir and the Hanacha, then me, who I'm just the holder, I may be a facilitator to the Malacha, but I'm not part of the Malacha at all. From my perspective, it's permissible. So really, we don't have any, we're not bothered in the first two, the first two scenarios of the Mishnah that the passive person should be listed. No, the passive person is doing permissible acts. What we are bothered by is that in the third and fourth scenarios in the Mishnah, we have the party, the one party is doing the Akira, one party is doing the Hanacha. There were eight different points there, so it should really be four that are twelve, not four that is eight. So the Gemara says, So we still have our Kasha come back that it is twelve, not, four, not uh, eight. So now the Gemara gives us an answer. Exemptions that could theoretically lead to a potential malacha de oraisa, we do count. Exemptions in case where it can't even theoretically come to a malacha de oraisa, we do not count. What does that mean? Explains Rashi. There's a very big difference between the Durabanan of not doing an Akira and the Durabanan of not doing a Hanach. Remember, on a Daraisa level, to violate the Malacha, you have to do both components. Uproot it from its place, make the transfer, and place it down in the second Rishos. You need both components. Midarabanan, we say, don't do either one. Don't even just do an Akira, and don't even just do a Hanach. However, there's a fundamental difference between the two. In Akira, when you do an Akira, you're along the way to potentially violating Malacha Daraisa. If you will then follow through with the next step and do Hanacha, you'll do a biblical, a biblical prohibition. If someone else has done the Akira and you just do the Hanacha, it's not even theoretically possible for you to do the Malacha Daraisa. It's just that the rabbis say, don't be involved in any way because like, you know, you're involved with something wrong on Shabbos, but there's really no potential for a person who just does a Hanacha to come to a Malacha Daraisa. So because of that fundamental difference, there's much more strength, there's much more severity in the rabbinic law. Don't do an Akira from Erishus A, even if you're not going to be the one to do the Hanacha, there's greater severity to that Rabbanon than the Rabbanon not to do a Hanacha if someone else did the Akira. So again, to illustrate, you have somebody who's holding something, he picks it up, and here again, he extends it into the other Rishus. So he's done an Akira to the item. Somebody else is going to take it out of his hands and place it, hold it by him or place it down. He's going to do the Hanach. So the Mishnah is only going to list, and when we say there are four, there are two that are four, we're only going to list the person who did the Akira, not the person who did the Hanach. The person who did the Hanach, maybe the rabbis don't want him to do it, maybe they do, it's not important. It's not severe enough for us to even list. We're only listing people who are violating Akira, not people who are violating Hanach. So going back, we had eight different 
we were claiming that, that, that we had eight different ones, which brought us to four plus eight, 12, the answer is take away any hanachas. Subtract someone who's only doing a hanacha. So 12 minus four, we get to eight. We're only enumerating when we said two that are four inside and two that are four outside that brought us to a total of eight, not 12. It's because we're only counting the people who are doing akiros, not people who are doing anachos. That's the way Rashi learns the Gemara. Very interesting Rashi. Okay, so again, Mishnah will only be counting people who are doing akiros. Just to illustrate, if you want to see how that plays out in the Mishnah. The third scenario in the Mishnah was that, was that, um, the, the, the Ani took something, he was holding something, he stuck his hand inside, and the Balabayas took it out of his hand and placed it down. So the Ani did the Akira, the Balabayas did the Hanach. In that scenario, we only get one number when we talk about that. You get one number, the Ani did something wrong. The next case, Ocean Osan the Soch of Ootsi. The person was holding it out and he took it out of them. Again, one person did Akira, one person did Hanach, you're only going to get one. Then when we go to the fourth scenario, again, you're only going to get two more. So the first two scenarios in the Mishnah you get, you get the total, you get the, you get the total of four, and then in the last two cases, you're only going to get four more, which is a total of eight. Shnaim shein arba bifnim, ushnaim shein arba bachos. Okay, now we're done with the complicated stuff of looking at all the numbers in the Mishnah. All right, so bottom line is, we've learned that you need both components to violate the Malacha Daraisa. Midrabanan, you shouldn't do either component, but the Mishnah was only listing the Akiros because those are much more severe. So the Gemara now comes back and says like this Shnei and Peturin, if they both do, if they're both a part of the Malacha, one does the Akira, one does the Hanacha. We've been saying that the Mishnah says for sure they're both Pater because they each didn't do the Malacha. Says the Gemara, why? The Malacha has been done between the two of them. It's a very interesting question. In Svara, logically, the Gemara holds that why are they potter? Because one did the Akira and one did the Anacha, but the Malacha was done between the two of them. So what is the Gemara asking? That both of them should be Chayev? Does that really make sense? I do the Akira, my friend does the Anacha. I should be Chayev because I did the Akira? What, because my friend finished my Malacha, I become Chayev? Tosos learns the Pshara and the Gemara is that the Gemara thinks that the person who does the second part should be Chayev. Because he made the malacha. Who cares? If you think about what an akira is, akira is really just the first step so that the malacha can be done when the hanacha takes place. So if the second person takes it out of the first person's hands, once or twice it extended, just give that example. So person A did an akira, person B does hanacha, person B is doing the malacha. He's making the creative change that the chayfetz is now in a second location. What is the idea that you're not chayav if you do a malacha, if you're doing a malacha on Shabbos unless you do the entire maisa? Why is that so obvious that that is true? So the Gemara responds, the answer is because we have a source from the Torah. Tanya Rebbe Omer. It says in the Pasuk, and this, the source, and we're going to look at it in this Pasuk, is not even by the laws of Shabbos. It's by the laws of Karbanos. The Torah is talking about a sin that warrants the carbon. So it says in the Pasuk, Me'ama aret me'ba'asosa. If somebody from the people of the land will do a sin, ba'asosa, when they will do it. So we expound upon it as if it says, as if it's a contraction of two words, ba'asos, when someone does, osa, the entire action. Ho'osa es kula, someone who does the entire action, below ho'osa es miksasa, and not the person who only does a part. So we basically learn from that, that doing a part of the Maisa Malacha is not forbidden. You have to be the one to do the entire action in order to be Chayev. If there's one individual who does the entire act, he is obligated. But this is a big rule that when two people do something together, they are both absolved. And this is a rule, guys, this is not only specific to 
the laws of Shabbos. This is a general rule for all sins in the Torah to warrant chiv in the Torah for obligation in the Torah. Unless one person is doing the full Misa, we don't necessarily view him as the doer. We are able to say that they both people are taking and subtracting away from each other and therefore neither one is viewed as considered the full act. Neither one is chayv. So therefore, in our mission, when one person does the Akira and one person does the Hanacha, what's the law? The law is that they are both Potter, and that's what the Mishnah was assuming. If they both, one does like here, one does Hanacha, they happen to be Mitra they shouldn't be doing it. But on a Daraisa level, to violate the Malacha, both components must be done. Says the Gemara in Marnami Amr of Chiyav Bar Gamda, Nizrim Pia Chabura was thrown from the Chabura of Amru, Ba'asosa, we darshan from the word Ba'asosa, as if it said Ba'asososa, Yachach Asachayv, if an individual does it, he is Chayv, Shinaim Shasu Paturim. But if two people do a malacha together, then they are Pater. This is relevant here in the laws of Akira and Hanacha, where one, there's different components to that. It can also be relevant if two people carry something together. If each of us can carry a, 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 a safer. A safer. This is only the Rabbanan. If I would carry it together with you, I can carry it and you can carry it. We don't need each other. And we both carry it out together into the street. What is the law? We are both potter. Because of the din that shenayim shasu potter. When two people do it, they are both potter. My action takes away from your action. Whose is it? It's mine, it's yours. If we can both do it without each other, then in fact we are exempt. We will learn later on in the Masechah what about an extremely heavy item where we both need each other to do it. That it actually might be different. We'll learn about that later in great detail. But in a situation where it wasn't absolutely necessary and we do it together, then we are both potter. And the Gemara is applying it here also to a scenario where there were two separate components. One person did one component, one person did a second component, then both people are potter. So saying there's two, if you think that, I was trying to just like throw it out a little lumdus, but there's actually the, like two dinim that are learned from this. One is where you do one component and my friend does the other component, like I did like here, does the anacha. In the case that I mentioned, like the safer, it could be the same din, just it's applied totally differently, is that I, I, I do both. I do an akir and anacha, just my friend also did that akir and anacha. And there we say it might depend on, 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 on whether I needed him or not. All right, now the Gemara moves on. We're going to get super, super lumdus here today. Let's get the case. A little bit difficult here. Ruvain has some fruits in his, in his precious ayach. And there's a shimon there. And Ruvain loads up all these fruits, or whatever they are, foods or drink, or it could be anything, on the back of his friend. Okay? So Ruvain loads up all these fruits onto Shimon's back. So now Shimon has all this stuff on his back. Ruvain picked it up. Puts it onto Shimon's back. Now Shimon has all these items on his back. And now what? Shimon now walks outside. And then he goes to Rosh Hashanah and he puts them down. He stops. Whatever you'd like. But the point is that in the Rishus, the first Rishus called the Rishus Hayachid, Ruvain picked them up and he put them onto Shimon's back. Shimon did not lift them off the ground. He had them put, placed on his body by Ruvain. Ruvain picked them off the ground, places them on Shimon's back. Shimon now walks out of the Rishos. Says the Gemara, Mahu, Akira's gufo ki Akira's chifetz mimekomo domi umechayev. Do I say, and listen to the words of the Gemara carefully, uprooting one's body is tantamount to uprooting the item from its place. Why would it be like that? Because when you're stationary and something is on your back, then where is the item munach? Where is the item placed right now? 
it's stationary on, 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 in the Rishos. If you're stationary, your body is stationary, then anything that's on you is also stationary. Munach in the Rishos. So if you now commence with a walking, you start walking, that's an Amaisa Akira. Even though I didn't take anything off the ground, if it was placed onto my back and I'm stopped, so now, the, where's the chayfetz? Munach and the rishos. If I walk, then my act of walking is an akira. So therefore, umechayev, Shimon would be chayev. Ruvain's totally absolved. What did Ruvain do? Nothing. He took it, he just picked it up, and he, and he, made, a, he made a hanacha in the same rishos. That's totally mutter. You can make an akira and a hanacha in the same rishos. There's no problem with that. It became munach again on his friend's back, on Shimon's back. Shimon does a second akira when he starts walking. So therefore, Shimon is going to be chayv. Odom, or maybe low, or maybe not. And what's the maybe not? Maybe we don't say that. Well, why wouldn't we say that? And this is where things get very hard. Why not? Why wouldn't we say that? So the Chazonish explains, there are those who disagree with this. I'm just saying it the way he does because there's a lot of problems. Chazonish explains that what's bothering the Gemara is that maybe you're not doing a deliberate maisa to the item. It's on you. It's on your back. Your maisa is, you're walking out happens to be that when I walk out, now the item that's on my back will leave. But the maisa that I am doing cannot be defined as a maisa akira. An akira's gufo, an akira to my guf, is I'm moving my body. A maisa of walking cannot be defined as a maisa of an akira. Now, so if there was something on the ground and I pick it up and then walk outside, very good, of course I'm chayv. That's a maisa akira when I pick it up and then I walk outside, I facilitate the hotzah. But if I didn't ever did the take the picking up, it just happens to land on my back. And then I move my body. Is moving one's body considered to be a Misa Akira or not? Now let me just bring out the point how relevant this question is. You ever go to shul and there was something in your pocket? So that's part of the Gemara's question. If Akira's gufa would not be Akira's chefetz, then assuming for a second whatever it was, you're totally stopped. You're a munach. The thing is, and the thing is in your pocket. Unless you say, Akira's kufa, Akira's chevetz, mimakomo, we won't see that when I go and walk out the door that I did an Akira to the tissue in my pocket. The only way we see an Akira to the tissue in my pocket is that saying that when I was stopped, the tissue was considered munach in that rishus. And that when I start walking, now when I can, and, and, and the tissue moves along with me, that's Akira's Gufo, This is all part of what the Gemara is trying to figure out. So Amar Leh, this was the big question Rav asked Rabbi. So Amar Leh, Chayef. He said, yeah, you're Chayef. It's called the Since it was placed on his body, once Shimon starts moving, that's an Akira to his Guf, and now, Akira's Gufo, and he's Chayef. The It's not like his hand. What does he mean it's not like his hand? There's a very simple potential question here. If somebody, if somebody, uh, in the case of the Mishnah, one person had something in his hand and he extended it into the other rishos, right? Let's say, remember, the Ani was outside and he extended his hand inside. And the Balabayas put it inside, inside of his hand. What was, what was the law? They're potter. One does the Akira and one does the Hanach. Why? If when Reuven puts something on Shimon's back, we're considering that to be munach, right? So why don't you say that in the situation, well, let's say where the Baal puts it into, into the outstretch on his hand, why don't you just say he made it be placed down? If it's true that when I put something onto my friend's back, it becomes munach b'makom. And now, when that person moves his body, he's doing an akiras kufa, akiras chayfet. So why don't you say that when the case of the Mishnah where a person has an outstretched hand, 
and the Balabais puts it in their hand. Why is he puttering? Didn't the Ani totally take it out? The Ani totally took it out, right? Again, let's go over the case. The Balabais is on the inside, the Ani is on the outside. The Balabais picks up a loaf, puts it into the outstretched hand of the Ani. Why is that different than putting it onto your friend's back? Where is the Chayfetz right now? Where is it right now? It's in that Rishos, inside the house, in the Ani's hand. So let that be Munach now in the Rishos HaYachr in the Ani's hand. When the Ani now moves his hand, he just did an Akira. And now he come, brings it outside, he just did a Hanacha. Why, is the, why do we say that the Ani is Pater? The Ani should be Chayav. When it was in his hand, in his outstretched hand, in the house, it should be Munach in that place, just like when Reuven loads up fruit onto Shimon's back. Now when the Ani picks up his hand and moves it outside, he's doing an Akira. So the Ani should be completely Chayav in that case. The answer is, it's not. It's not like his hand. My time, a gufo naich, yadolo Because your hand isn't at rest in that rishos. Why? Because it's outstretched into the other rishos. When the ani stretches out his hand into the other rishos and holds it there, you can't view the hand as being anything in the hand as being at rest in that rishos. Because the person's body is in the opposite rishos. He's just stretching out his hand over there. So the chayfet that's here is stretched out into the private home can't be viewed as being at rest inside the home. Because the, the hand itself is really totally dragged towards the outside where the person's body is. That's the reason why the thing inside the Ani's outstretched arm is not considered to be munach in the house. So therefore, when the Ani now draws his hand back, he's not doing an Akira. In the case that we're talking about, Reuven placed fruit on, on Shimon in the Rishos. Where's Shimon's body? In the Rishos. So the things that are on his back are munach in that Rishos. So now when Shimon subsequently moves, he's doing an Akira. Uh, Very good. So Rashi has a different lesson in the Gemara. Basar gufo greira. If you short my thing, if I remember correctly, I'm going to speak out your point. That the point of the Gemara is that a, a hand is never, can never uh, like, give a separate identity to a chayfetz when the body is in a second location. So gufo naich yadolo naich. The body is completely stationary. Something on the body is considered munach on the makam. The hand is not stationary. So something in the outstretched hand will not consider it to be munach in, in that rishos. So the Gemara says back, you son of a good of big ones. Didn't I tell you? When Rebbe's learning one Masech, don't ask him a question in another Masech. Maybe Rebbe's not going to know the answer. If not for the fact that it happens to be, Rebbe was a great man, Kasafte. He would have embarrassed him. But why? Maybe Rebbe would give you a not, not such a good answer. In other words, Rav asked this question of Rebbe. Rebbe wasn't learning Shabbos when Rav asked him that question. So they're criticizing Rav for asking this question to Rebbe. Don't ask questions to a Rebbe who's not learning the Masechta that you want to know the answer to. But Hashtamiyas, it happens to be that it worked out well for you. Shaper, Mishani Lach, actually Rebbe told you the truthful answer. The Tanya, it says like Rebbe in a yom. Let's say a person was already holding things from before, from, well, before Shabbos. And then once Shabbos came, he carried them out. He's chayef. What do you mean he's chayef? He didn't do the Maisa Akira on Shabbos. Must be that since he stopped and once it was Shabbos and then he continued walking, so the continuing of walking is called an Akira to the thing in his pocket, and it's not like the, the scenario of the outstretched arm in our Mishnah. And that's exactly like I said, like a tissue. The only reason you're chayef for forgetting a tissue is because of this Gemara. You forgot the tissue, and then the Akira, when you put the tissue in your pocket, was on Friday. Now with Shabbos, the tissue was just in your pocket. But since you stop, whenever you're going to start walking again on Shabbos, moving your body will be another Akira now to the tissue. And when I walk outside, um, I will be chayef. Says the, when I, when I, when I, so this is a very important rule. You won't do a unless you stop. 
you place it down. So for example, let's say you're in the street and you realize you have your tissue. So worst thing to do is to stop. Because when you stop and make that, that's anacha to the tissue. So that's the worst thing to do. What you exactly you should do, we have to learn more about in Masechta, but that's definitely the worst. Definitely the worst is to stop right then. Then that's anacha. It says the Gemara, Amar Abai. I see it's obvious to me that an outstretched arm into another location is not going to be treated like the other location because of the fact that the body is somewhere else. It's not going to be treated like the original location where the person is. Meaning, even though we just said that it's not going to be munach in the other rishos that it's stretched out in, but it's also not like it's in the original place. Right? A person's in one place, he stretches out his arm. We just made the point that what's held in his outstretched arm is not munach in the place where his arm is. But it's also not considered munach in the, uh, in the original place. Where do we see that? We see that in the Mishnah. Remember the case, the Ani picks up something and he extends it in. Right now, then the Baal takes it out of his hand. What's the law? They're both potter. Why? Why don't we say the hand is just where the body is? Since the body is in Rishus Arabim, so the outstretched arm, whatever is held in the hand, is also in Rishus Arabim. So when the Baal takes it out, he did not hear from Rishus Arabim. The answer is we don't say that. It's kind of dragged after the body that is not Munach in the second Rishus, but it's also not fully dragged after the body that is completely Munach in the, in the, in the, in the Rishus of where the body is. It's kind of like in a neutral zone. Something held in an outstretched hand where the body is in one Rishus and the hand is in another Rishus, it's not fully treated for sure like the Rishus of where the body is. That's that's obvious, self-evident from reading the mission. But if a person himself picks up something, picks up some fruit, let's say, extends his hand into another rishos, is he allowed to bring it back? And what's the Gemara's question? As soon as you pick it up and you do an Akira, you extend it out, you just did something wrong. You violated the rabbinic law, don't do an Akira on Jabbos. Why don't the rabbis want me to do that? Because you might put it down when you violate Jabbos. You just did an Akira. Maybe the rabbis now make a penalty and they don't let me bring my hand back in. It's a fascinating Gemara. Why? Because what am I going to have to do? Hold it there until Shabbos is over. That's what the Gemara wonders. And, what, and the rabbis would give me the Haggadah. They would explain. They would legislate that the way I'm not allowed to do this is we're going to say an outstretched arm into a separate Rishos is viewed as if it's a separate Rishos. It's called a Carmelis. A Carmelis is a rabbinic law. It's viewed as a separate Rishos from the place you're in. So if the hand stretched out into a different location, your hand becomes as if it's a Carmelis, as if it's a separate location. When you bring your hand back in, we're going to consider it rabbinically like you transferred from a Carmelis into Rishos Hayachad, which is forbidden. Your hand is definitely not technically a Carmelist, but perhaps because the rabbis want to penalize me, they'll consider it as if it is a Carmelist. That's what the Gemara is considering right now. Then Midorai, so you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And it's possible there that even Midorai Bonin didn't do anything wrong. We'll see. And the Akira was, but I'm saying you didn't do anything wrong by coming back in. That's what I mean. But here the Gemara wants to know if I hold it out, perhaps now Midorai Bonin, they made a law, I have to hold my hand there. Because now it's as if it stops, as if it's placed in a Carmelist, and now I can't draw it back in, perhaps, and this is all because of the penalty for violating the din that you shouldn't do an Akira on Shabbos. Did the rabbis make a penalty that you're not allowed to draw it back in, or did they not? Tashima, let's see, it says in one Bryce, your, your hands are full of fruits, and you bring them outside. One Bryce says, yeah, you can't do it, you gotta just hold your hand out there for the rest of Shabbos. Another Bryce says, you're allowed to bring it back in. 
One opinion says we make a penalty and we treat the outstretched arm as if it's its own independent resource and I can't bring it back in because it's like bringing from a Carmelist to Rishasayachid. The second opinion says, no, it's not like a Carmelist. The rabbis didn't make a penalty. So I did that what's wrong. I may have done an Akira, but now I can bring it back in. So the Gemara says, Lo, the Kuliyamaka Karmelis Dami. Everyone holds it's like a Karmelis. Below Kasha, Kan Lamata Measara, Kan Lamala Measara. It depends how high my hand is held. Now, there's one important thing we have to understand about this. In all the Rishuyos of Shabbos, the domains of Shabbos, in the Rishus Harabim or Karmelis, only extend to Tent Fachamai. Above 10 Tefachim, it's not called the domain of the public, or a Carmelist, it's not called a Carmelist above 10 Tefachim from the ground. So, if a person's hand is outstretched within 10 Tefachim, low, close to the ground, where, then we may consider, we may legislate that the hand is considered a separate Rishos or Rishos of a Carmelist, and if I'll draw my hand back in, it will be tantamount to bringing from a Carmelist to Rishos Hayachit. That's possible. But if my hand is above the tent vachim, up high, then we cannot legislate that the hand is like a karmelis because there is no such thing as a karmelis above tent vachim off the ground. So then it would be permitted to bring it back in. Tosos has a very simple question. If your hand is ever within tent vachim, you know what you can do? No. Dropping is the worst thing because you did anachim. Yeah, why don't you just go like this then? So that brings a very, very touchy subject, which is, are you allowed to bring from a Carmelist to a Malcolm Pator? That's a suffix of the Gemara and Irvin, a little bit beyond our scope at this point. But the bottom line is, for our purposes, what the Gemara is saying is, if it's within Tent Vachim, the rabbis may say, that's the penalty, don't bring it back in. It's as if it's in a Carmelist now, you can't bring it back in. But it's above Tent Vachim, it's not in any domain that's called, can be legislated as a Carmelist, so you'd be allowed to bring it back in. Says the Gemara, both may be that they're within Tent Vachim, and it's not a Carmelist. Below Kasha, we'll explain it to you. Depends when you stuck your hand out. If you stuck your hand out on Friday, so you didn't do anything wrong, then, oh, oh my gosh, the sun's just set. Are you allowed to bring it back in? There will be lenient because you didn't do anything wrong. The whole reason, the rabbis aren't looking to say hands are karmelists. That, that, we're not walking around trying to do that. We're looking to impose penalties upon people who have violated the law of making an akira. We legislate the penalty by saying we treat your hand like a karmelist. We only impose that for someone who has done the wrong thing. So if he did it on Friday, he's allowed to bring it back. But if he did it on Shabbos, it's forbidden. If he did it on Friday, the rabbis didn't make the kanas. But if he stuck his hand out, he did the akira on Shabbos, and the rabbi said it's awesome. Says the Gemara, why don't we just say the exact opposite? Ipcha mistabra. The, 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 just the opposite is more logical. If he did it on Friday, if he did the Akira on Friday, even if he drops it, he'll never violate the biblical malacha because he did the Akira on Friday. Then the rabbi should say, you know what, hold your hand there. But if he did it on Shabbos, he did the Akira, if he's going to let go, he's going to make it the rabbanon should not make their knas. What's the Gemara saying? We're running a very thin line here because if the rabbi say you have to hold your hand out, you know what might happen? It might get too heavy. The guy might get frustrated and he might throw it down. And if he does that, what did we just cause someone to do a malacha daraisa? So if you think about it, it would be better for us not to make the penalty and let him bring it back in. Because if we don't and we get all strict and we say, don't bring it back in, he might get frustrated after three hours and put it down and just do a hotzah daraisa. So wouldn't it make sense to say the exact opposite? That we do not let you bring it back in. If you did it on Friday, maybe we could treat a hand like a caramelist. But if you did it on Shabbos, we should let you bring it back in. Because if we don't, you might get frustrated and you might do the Malchadar Aisa. I mean, the local Mishanin and the fact that we didn't answer this 
Tishon to Rabbi Rabbi, this resolves Rabbi Rabbi's suffering. To buy Rabbi Rabbi, Hidbik Pas Patana. If a person stuck bread into the oven, so you have to know a little bit the way the ovens work. They used to press the thin matzahs, you know, the thin bread against the sides, the walls of the oven. To take bread out of an oven on Shabbos is a malacha derabbanan. The rabbis don't like that. It was a particular craft. It was a skill how to take it off, how to take it off when it was stuck to the sides of the oven. Midrabbanan, that's not allowed. It's like uvdan dechol. It's like a weekday type of activity. The rabbis don't allow me to take bread that is stuck to the sides of the oven off the oven on Shabbos. Let's say somebody already realized, somebody sticks some bread in the oven on Shabbos. A gewalt. In 20 minutes, if the bread breaks, what's going to be the din? He just violated the halacha of cooking on Shabbos. Am I allowed to take it out? Think about it. If I don't take it out, what's going to be? I just did a malacha daraisa. But to take it out is forbidden rabbinically because I'm not allowed to take bread out of an oven on Shabbos that's stuck on. So what's the law? He hit big bas so low. Do the rabbis allow me to do that? To take it off the walls before it comes to the echi of chatas or not? So we should resolve Tisho to lo We should see from us that we know not matter. That's exactly like our case. Someone stuck his hand out and now did an Akira. If we're willing to make the penalty and not allow him to bring his hand back in, it means we're going to make our penalty and not be concerned that he'll drop it and become a Chiyav Chatas. You see that the rabbinic injunction will go so strong even though it may make the person do the Daraisa. So so too here. If the person stuck the bread into the oven and in 20 minutes he's going to come to Malacha Daraisa, the rabbis will still not let him take it back, take it out of the oven, even though it would save him from doing the malacha. So the Gemara says, Hello, gosh, have a tip show. You know what? You're right. Let, let that be resolved. We're totally fine with that resolution. Perhaps do not resolve it. It depends whether you did it bishogeg or whether you did it b'mezid. If it was done bishogeg, the rabbis didn't make the knas. So it would sound like the simple shot in the Gemara would be, this would be the simple shot, is that in some the case of the oven where the Gemara, we're not sure what to do, that may be, we're not sure what to do. That might be all for a person who, did, who does it b'meizit. But for a person who does it b'shogig, you would say he would be allowed to do it. In our case of the person who did the akira would be for a person, for a person who does it b'shogig. Again, the idea is penalty. So we're only looking for penalty if someone deliberately, willingly violated the malacha. The question might be, if someone who does something, whether the rabbis impose a knas, to the case of someone who did it intentionally. One person holds that we made the knas of shogig, and one person holds that we do not. Now Rashi is just bothered, but after all is said and done, what's the difference between the two cases? You know, we're saying shogig or mezid. The question is whether you made the, the knas but shogig or mezid. But why ultimately in the case of where you stick your hand out, are we saying that maybe the rabbis do not let me bring it back in? But in the case of the tander, maybe we do let you bring it. So Rashi explains as follows. In the case here, when you stuck out your hand, it's not certain that if you're going to come to the of Chatas, the only way you'll come to a Chi of Chatas would be if I drop it. Maybe the person won't drop it. So therefore, the rabbis may legislate that you should keep your hand outside the whole day. But in the case of the Pas and the Tanur, if you don't bring it back in, you certainly will come to a Chi of Chatas. So perhaps it's different over, perhaps it is different over there in that regard. That's the way Rashi learns ultimately why the Gemara is distinguishing uh, between the two cases.